me try this again. Am I on? Is it is the feedback thing fixed? Thanks, Al. Okay. Well, good morning once again. We were thrilled to have all of y'all here at St. Paul's, and I, I hope this isn't too much of a, a mishmash or hodgepodge of a sermon, but um, there's something I need to address, and there's something I need to preach on, so you can get a little bit of both. And one of which, the first thing is this reading from the New Testament, and it's probably one of the um, trickiest, most misinterpreted scriptures um, anywhere. And so I'm going to tell you about that, and then I'm gonna, we're going to look at Samuel. And so maybe, Carrie, can we get the next to last gospel slide, if you have that? While she's pulling that up, I'll read it to you. Um, it says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And so if you're like me, and you're hearing this for the first time, or maybe the tenth time, and you say, whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, and you're walking around, and you're like, oh gosh, have I ever done that? Have I ever blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? Am I not forgiven? What does this mean? Um, maybe you don't think that, but I think that when I read it, and it's a little daunting. And so we have to say, what, what is going on? Because this doesn't really seem to reconcile with grace and forgiveness and, and the gift of God that's offered to us in Jesus Christ. And so I just want to hit on this very quickly. It's very important to consider who Jesus is talking to and the context in which he says it. Um, and he's talking against the scribes who came down from Jerusalem. And these were very self-righteous um, religious folks who were trying, they're out to get Jesus. They really wanted to get him. And so they saw him casting out demons and they said, oh, well, he must be possessed by Beelzebub, by Satan. Um, and so they're accusing Jesus of being possessed by Satan because of what he's doing and casting out unclean spirits. And, and Jesus knows he's actually doing this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's these scribes who are accusing Jesus are the ones who are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. They're saying the Holy Spirit is evil, the Holy Spirit is Satan. And when you say that, that's the sin that Jesus is saying is unforgivable. Now, here's what I would say to you today. The Holy Spirit works in our lives in a number of ways. Um, but the first and foremost way he works in our lives is to actually call us into faith, to call us to Jesus. And so if we um, feel the Holy Spirit calling us to Jesus and resist that or reject that or say, no, I don't want any part of that, that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That is rejecting him and resisting him. And if you do that your whole life and you die and you have decided that you are rejecting the Holy Spirit and you're rejecting God and you're rejecting Jesus, then yes, that would be um, the sin that is not forgiven. But if you're sitting here and you've accepted Jesus and you're wondering, well, how can I avoid blaspheming the Holy Spirit? There's a good chance you're not going to do it because you've already accepted that call and you've received the Holy Spirit and you know Jesus and you have been brought into the kingdom of God. And so if that's you, and you're worried about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you don't have to worry about it because you're not going to do it. Does that make sense? You all on with that? Think it over. This will be online. You can listen to it on the internet. Um, or you can get an ESV study Bible. That's what I've got. And it is very good and very helpful. So go pick one of those up. ESV study Bible, 30 bucks. Very helpful. 
So, moving on. We're going to be in Samuel this morning. And this is a, a great passage from Samuel, and it's, it's very important. Um, it's very important for the history of Israel, and it's very important for our understanding of what's going on in all of Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament, because what we're seeing is the very beginnings of the kingdom of the nation of Israel, the kingdom of the nation of Israel. And so Samuel is, um, is at this time, what, what they call a judge. Now we have a whole book of judges, and Samuel follows in line with these judges, and, and we think um, in our day someone is a judge, they're, they're pronouncing a judgment on somebody, and they're making a ruling, and, and they did some of that, but it's a broader term, um, almost like a governor, and so Israel was governed by these series of judges that were appointed by God, but they had no king, no sort of real head authority, and there's a reason for that. God set it up that way on purpose. When he set up the nation of Israel, he said, I am your king. You don't need an earthly king because you have me. And so I give you these judges to help you rule and govern, but, but I am your king. I am the one that you bow down to. I am the one that you serve. You don't need an earthly king. And so that's what's happening here is, is Samuel is a judge. And it's really interesting if you, if you read um, Samuel 7... You would read about, you know, Israel's arch enemies, the Philistines, these people that inhabited the land with them, and, and they were always fighting Goliath, if you will, in the, the David and Goliath story. Goliath was a Philistine, and the Philistines have come in and taken the Ark of the Covenant, and that's a big deal. That's the, the, the Holy of Holies, the place where the law resides, and they've, they've taken it, and Israel is, you know, they're in a really bad spot, and so they cry out to God, Lord, have mercy on us. And God raises up Samuel to, to be a judge of Israel. And in chapter 7, Samuel leads them into battle. And if you looked at verse 13, um, after, you know, after Samuel leads the Israelites, it says, The Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. So Samuel is this amazing judge that has the power of God with him, that has defeated the Philistines, Israel doesn't need a king. They've got God working through Samuel. Samuel grows old, and his sons take over his position, and they're not, um, well, they're not quite as good as Samuel. And so um, his sons did not walk in his ways, in the ways of God, in the ways of Samuel, um, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. And so Samuel was a very good judge. His sons, not so much. And then we get to verse 4 of Samuel, um, which started our reading today. And what we're going to see in this passage is all about kings and kingdoms. And, and I want to put forward before you three things, okay? Three things we're going to get from this. One is we all desire we all need, we all want a king, okay? Now, y'all are thinking, well, I'm an American. I don't need no stinking kings. I'm telling you, you want, you need, you desire a king, and we'll get to that. The problem with this need is that we have this, this tendency to coronate the wrong kings. We put up a king that's not really the king we want, okay? So we have a need, we need a king, we have a problem, we 
keep going after the wrong ones, and we have a solution that God has provided for us, a just and loving king. So you can see where this is going pretty obviously. So we all desire a king. And so here's what Israel says in, in response to Samuel's sons. Uh, they, you know, they have a very short memory. They forgot you know, God driving out the Philistines. They just completely have forgotten that. And so they say to Samuel, um, the, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. No respect for the elderly, apparently. You are old. You're not doing a great job. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So Israel wanted a king. And, and, and here's, here's what I hope to be able to put before you today. And I hope you can follow me. We all want, somehow or another, a king. We want, um, you know, if it's on the level of personality, someone that we can, we can follow. Someone who's going to lead us into battle and lead us into victory. And, and we see this sometimes in our political figures. And without taking sides, I just put forward a couple. Um, you know, George Washington in this country is almost heralded as if he were a king. Now, he'd be rolling in his grave if he could hear me say that. But the fact is, we had a problem, and we needed a leader, and he stepped up, and he led us into victory and into battle. And, and if he's got to be the closest thing in this country to a king, George Washington. But that, that, you know, that's not just for, for the 1700s and the 1800s, it's for um, today. I would argue, and again, whether you agree or not, it doesn't matter, but Ronald Reagan, when he was elected president came in almost as a king. You know, this country was in a, in a terrible recession, and there's the Iran hostage crisis, and Ronald Reagan comes in and, and you, you know, motivates the people and unites the people and ushers in, um, or somebody ushered in, but he was seen as leading the way, this way of prosperity and this way of um, rising power for the United States. And, and we, often we look back and we think of Ronald Reagan and, and we, we say, wow, he was amazing. And in and, and some circles, he's given this sort of coronation, if you will. And so, I think it's fair to say we kind of all desire that. And if politics isn't enough, think about movies, literature. You know, King Arthur is this great and just king who, who leads the, um, you know, the, the round table and, and Camelot and this peaceful city. King Arthur is, idealizes this great king and we love him. But even, even today, you have movies like Gladiator. Or Braveheart, or the Patriot, and it's these strong leaders leading into battle. And so, um, in some sense or another, we all desire something like that. And we want something like that. Something like that in our lives that we can rally behind. Someone, a personality, something that we can get behind and, and gives us motivation and definition to our lives. And, and so we have Israel... And, and they want a king that they can rally behind, someone that can motivate them, someone that can give them structure and, and discipline in their lives, because as the king goes, so goes the nation. And so Israel says, give us a king that we can follow. And God says, what about me? What about me? And so the first thing we see is, we all desire a king, and the second thing we see is, is, is we put up the wrong king. So let's listen to this passage again, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel and said, Behold, you are old, 
Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And they say it again in verse, um, verse 19. They say, no, there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. That's what they want, someone to fight their battles. Now, now here's this is very important. In Deuteronomy, there is a provision actually for a king. This is the law, and God is saying, well, you know, you, you can have this law, and, and, and you're going to be Israel, and you're going to be a nation, and maybe one day you're going to want a king, and I'm happy to give you a king, but here's the job of the king, is to encourage you to keep the Mosaic covenant, to keep my laws, to keep my commandments. The role of the king is to lead his people spiritually, to lead them spiritually. Now, what is Israel asking for? They're asking for a king to fight their battles so that they can be like all the other nations. They're enthroning the wrong king. And so... God interprets that statement. You know, they say, we want a king like all the other nations, and we get to verse 7, and God speaks to Samuel, and he says, Obey the voice of your people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They have rejected me from being king over them. And so, when you have a throne, you can only have one king on it, and they're saying they don't want God to be their king. They want a king like all the other nations. And so here is the question that that I want you to consider this morning. What are you putting on the throne? What are you coronating as your king? Because I'm telling you, um, you know, I'm guessing I could ask 80% of you in here, I could say, who's your king? And you say, well, Jesus is my king. And that's the right answer, and that's great. But, But I'm pretty sure that we all have a king somewhere um, that is hiding in a closet that we're bowing down to, and we don't want to admit it, and we don't maybe even know it, and I'm telling you, you've got one. You are putting somebody else on the throne, and, and you maybe you're saying, well, there's Jesus, and there's this throne here that's a little bit lesser, but it doesn't work like that, because this king that you have, this king that you don't want to talk about, that you know is there, this king is tangible and he's visible, and the more you go to him and the more you serve him, the stronger and more powerful he will get, and he will be your king, your only king one day. I promise you, I'm telling you that's what will happen. So what is it? What is your king? Is it, is it money or, or power or status? What, what, what are you seeking? What are you serving? Do you want to be like all the other nations? You want to be like all the other people? What is it? How does this work? Well, I'll, just, I'll take one example that I would say, um, maybe let's say status. Maybe that's your king. Maybe you're going for, for status and you want to be somebody. You want to be somebody that the world respects, that has, has an elevated status in, in society. And so maybe that's your king and maybe you're serving that and chasing after that. Um, what happens to Israel king? Israel's, what will happen if Israel gets a king? Well, um, I won't read all of this, but Samuel told the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, 
Um, Sure, you can have a king. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your field. He will take the tenth of your grain. He will take your male servants and female servants. He will take the tenth of your flocks. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king. You will cry out because of your king. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So maybe your king is status, and you're going to take status and and, and sit this king on a throne. This king will take everything you have. This is an unjust king. He doesn't love you. He doesn't want to serve you. He wants you to serve it. And so you seek status, and all of a sudden, maybe it's your family life goes by the wayside, or, or you, you pour yourself into your job, or, or who you are, your appearance takes this amazing priority in your life. And so any, any sort of blemish you feel like you've got to cover up, and you're living two-faced. You've got a mask on before the world, and you can't be yourself because you've got to preserve that king, that king of status. Do you see how that works? Maybe it's money. You know, it's the same thing. You, you, we go for this big money grab, and we get, and we get, and we get, and, and we think, you know, once we have $100, we'll have enough, and it's not enough. Maybe a million will be enough, but it's never enough. And that king that you put on the throne, he just takes and takes and takes until you're a shell. You're a shell of who God has created you to be. And you're serving this idol, this thing you've enthroned that has taken over your life. Is that what you want? You want to be like all the other nations. You want a king that will lead you into earthly battle and make you something for yourself in this world. Do you want a king who will lead you and guide you spiritually? What do you want? Finally, though, we see that God provides a just and loving king. And so he, he's, you know, he, he says, okay, people, you want a king? You can have a king. And so the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice and make them a king. And what happens next? Samuel goes and he finds Saul. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. Saul starts out pretty good. Um, But then he decides that he doesn't want to obey the Lord. And so instead of representing the heavenly king, Saul follows all the earthly kings. And he is, um, you know, put off. God says, I'm finished with you, Saul. And God raises up David to be a king. And David was a man after God's own heart. Even David wasn't perfect. But David, you know, he was, he's kind of the ideal king. And so God makes a promise to David that one day your ancestors will reign on the throne forever. Forever. The, 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 the king in the line of David. David dies. Solomon becomes king. Solomon is, um, becomes the peak of the nation of Israel. The peak of Israel. And he has um, this huge kingdom. He has people coming from all the nations to see him, to get wisdom. The queen of Sheba, for instance, comes to visit Solomon. And it's like, man, is he, is this the Davidic king that was promised? But you know what Solomon did? He took the best of the fields. He taxed his people from the very best. He took their best laborers and made them slaves. He took many wives. He did every single thing that Samuel said would happen. Everything. And after Solomon, it was downhill. 
until God says, well, enough with this kingdom, and the, the Babylonians come over and destroy the nation of Israel and take the Jews to be slaves, and, and they're left wondering, what happened? What happened to that promise that God made to this king, to King David? What happened? Well, what happened? God gave us our king. If you're looking for a king, God has given you one through Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior, He is the King in the line of David who is reigning on His throne forever. And He has restored you. He wants you to come to Him, to be in a relationship with Him, that you may find salvation in Him, and you may find guidance through His Holy Spirit. You want a King who's going to be um, guide you spiritually? You can't get much better than the Holy Spirit. And so here's the deal. So God, the King... Jesus Christ came down and walked on this earth and gave his life for us on a cross so that we could seek him and find him as the one true king. And so all that stuff you're looking for, whether it's power or money or status or God only knows what you've got hiding, you can lay that down. You can lay that down at the feet of Jesus and let him be your king. Let him reign over you starting now. Starting right now. You don't have to have an earthly king because we have the king of all kings, the king who one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so what are you going to do with that? What's your king and who will be your king? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you, Lord, that you have, um, that you want to enthrone yourself in our hearts to rule our lives and that one day you will come back and you will rule on this earth over all things. So I pray now that you would continue to turn our hearts to you, that we would seek you and serve you and know you. And we ask this through your, through your name. Amen.